Precious Father, it was at Calvary that we laid our sins down and you paid the price that each one of us owed. And so, Father, we pray that you would never let us forget that. We pray, God, that you would remind us that when we lay things at the foot of the cross, that they stay there and we shouldn't pick them back up. Help us, God, to grow in our faith. Help us to grow in our knowledge and in our understanding of you. And we pray, Lord, that as we dive into the book of Ephesians this morning, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us in exactly the way that we need to hear you. We pray that you would be glorified by our worship this morning. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear what it is you have to say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, making it a very purposeful uh, thing to make sure that I let you know that I love you. And love being with you, love worshiping with you. I love sitting up here watching you worship and, and hearing you sing. And it's such a, a blessing to be able to, to, to be a part of that. I have to be honest with you, I'm one of the nuts that I actually love the snow. Uh, I hope we get 4,000 inches of snow by the end of church. I, I love it. Snow, everybody's out looking, they're all freaking out on me over here. I'm sorry, I'll take it back. But what I love about the snow is that when you look at this renewed image that we have, we're in a new series called Renew. I, I love the snow because it is a constant reminder to me that God can take dead, broken, nasty-looking things. You know, when the fall comes and the pretty colors go away from the trees, it really is a gross time. There's that time when it's like it's kind of snowing and then it all turns to slush and it just, it looks like death outside, doesn't it? But what I love is that reminder of the snow and the way that God can take gross, disgusting things, as dead as they may look, and he covers them up and he makes them look white as snow and pure. And what I love about the snow is you see this image of this flower springing through the snow because underneath of all of what that death was, when it's covered up by snow, life begins to come back. And the snow, in fact, acts as an insulator and helps nourish and feed the plants that come in the spring. And it's a reminder that as gross and ugly as I am, God brings me back to life, just as he brings you back to life. Amen? A few years ago, I, I consider myself a renaissance man. I love classical things. I love art. I love music. I love just all kinds of different things. And, and so uh, I was looking around and started to notice these things called bonsai trees. Have you ever seen a bonsai tree? A lot of people think that a bonsai is a specific type of tree, but it's really not. Bonsai is actually a Japanese phrase that, that means little tree in a big pot. And bonsai is actually a way of growing a tree. And you can bonsai, um, well, you can't bonsai anything because not everything will survive the process, but you can bonsai all kinds of different things. The juniper is the traditional one that people will see bonsai. So I took this on. I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. It's a, it's a gentleman's thing, it's a, it's a patient's thing. And so I got a greenhouse and I put it on my back porch and got a couple junipers and found that I could really take care of these plants well. So I got a great big book of bonsai trees and things that you could bonsai. And I found that a, a Japanese maple tree is absolutely gorgeous when it's bonsai. 
And basically what you do is you take a a pot that has very little soil in it, just enough soil to keep the nutrients on on the bonsai tree. And underneath of that you have gravel because you have to keep the plant wet all the time. You have to constantly water it, but the water has to flow through. It can't be sitting in a pool. So they're actually quite difficult to take care of. And so I got this mature Japanese maple and I thought, this will be easy, I'll take care of it. It was a very mature tree, it was an older tree, and I got a book and read about how you take care of a tree from the time of its infancy to the time it's fully mature, and I thought, you know, this is an old tree, I should probably take care of it since it's new to me like an infant. And I began to give it nutrients, and I began to water it in such a way that you would water a brand new uh, Japanese maple And what ended up happening, because it was a mature tree, and all I was giving it was everything that it needed to be a juvenile tree or an infant tree, that tree ended up dying. And so, I believe in never give up, never surrender, so I ordered another maple tree. And this time I ordered a younger one. I ordered a juvenile tree. It was just out of its infancy. It was freshly in the pod, and it still needed to be trained. That's when you take wires and bend it to however you want it to look. And so I get this tree, and I thought to myself, you know, I really messed up last time by treating the old tree like a juvenile, so I'm going to treat this tree, this kind of juvenile tree, I'm going to treat it like a mature tree, and I'm going to give it the nutrients it needs to really sustain long term. And I quickly realized that when you take something that it's in its juvenile stage, and you treat it like it's something in its mature stage, that tree died too. And so finally I started to read a little more in my handy-dandy bonsai book. And so this time I did something different. I ordered seeds. I got them in October, November, and, and when I was reading about how to grow and really take care of this bonsai tree, it said that you actually have to take the seeds, put them in a Ziploc bag with some peat moss, and you throw it in the refrigerator until about March or April. I thought, that's ridiculous. There's no way this is going to work. And sure enough, after several months of being in the refrigerator, out of those seeds sprouted little saplings. I then took them and planted them. Then it tells me that you need to take a hot pad and put the dirt, the little nursery thing, on top of this heated thing, and you have to water them uh, once every couple of days. And so I'm thinking, this doesn't sound like a bonsai. And sure enough, as I did what the book said, and I treated an infant tree as an infant tree, it began to grow. And as that tree grew older and older and older, I began to treat it, to where it was in its maturity. And as I did that, the tree blossomed and became what it was supposed to be. Beautiful little bonsai tree. You see where I'm going with this, don't you, church? Because I think this relates to us spiritually in a lot of different ways because when we walk through the doors of the church, many of us come in here at very different stages of our Christian walk, don't we? Some of us come in here just learning about Christ for the first time. And and I would call you, you're in that juvenile stage or that infancy of your faith. And some of you have known Jesus longer than the apostles. And and so you really are like, you have a relationship with Christ. And you're really in your mature stage of your faith. But it's funny how sometimes as immature Christians, we pretend that we're more mature than we really are. 
just so we look good. And ultimately, I want to tell you, that will lead to death. And for you mature Christians out there who pretend to not be as mature as you really are because you don't want to use your gifts and talents, because you don't want to serve, that too is going to lead to death. Because God has grown you for a reason. And if you are really the the fruit-bearing tree that he has created you to be, then you should be producing fruit. And so if you're sitting in this room this morning and you're a mature Christian and you're not serving and loving others, shame on you. I hope the Lord makes you discomforted and uncomfortable until you're convicted to movement. Because as Paul says, a life that is truly alive in faith will produce fruit. And so as Christians, we're not called to sit idly by with the knowledge that we have been given, with the passion that has been welled up inside of us. We're not here to sit idly by. We're called by God to become his disciples. We're called by God to mature in our faith. If anybody told you accepting Christ is you're just ticket into heaven and you don't have to do anything else after that, they, they really misled you. Because, yeah, you only need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, but that's just the beginning of a process of moving from infancy to maturity. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians 4 with me. Because in our passage this morning, we hear a very powerful challenge from Paul and from God that that we are not to sit by and to be stagnant in our faith. Because, listen folks, you're either, you're either growing or you're dying. And so this morning we're challenged to grow as believers, to understand that in the knowledge and the, in, in the graciousness of God, and the knowledge and understanding of Christ, we are called to grow. The Ephesian church is in Asia, and it's this beautiful church that's, that Paul's not really met a lot of these churches in Asia, and so he sends this letter to promote unity, and he sends this letter to promote maturity in the faith. And so if you have your Bibles, we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. Do you ever wonder what the word mature means? I know as a kid I used to think that the word mature meant that, that I, I would now like coffee and I would complain about how violent cartoons are. Or maturity meant that I would have plastic on my furniture and, and, and tables in my living room that I wasn't allowed to set anything on. That's what I thought maturity was. That I had to like golf. But that's not what maturity is, is it? See, really what maturity is, is just the simple fact of of understanding that there's a time and a place for everything, and a mature person knows when those times and places are. Just as an 83-year-old person should understand that there's a time and a place to act childlike. And just as a 7-year-old should understand that there's a place to use your manners. As Christians, as mature Christians, there's a time and a place for everything. But we need to strive for maturity. Paul sends this letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of a calling that you have received. Worthy of the calling that you have received. If you know and love the Lord as your Savior in this room right now, let me ask you this question. Are you living a life worthy of the calling that you've received? God has called you to something and you know it. You may fake it on the outside and ask people, I don't know what God's called me to. I believe he's speaking to your heart. Are you living a life worthy of that? 
What does that life look like? How are we supposed to live a life worthy of that? Well, we're to live a life of truth and love. You have homework today. I want you to go home and I want you to read chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. Because in this, Paul challenges us to live in such a way that we love one another, that we're patient with one another, that we're bearing each other's burdens, that we're completely humble before one another. He says this in verse 11, he says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. So God is calling us to be people of love, but he's also sent us people to help teach us, to help grow us, to help mature us. Some of you were in weekly Bible studies. I know we had the Truth Project here before this service, and and Holly Campbell and I brought a a, a message about truth and philosophy. And there's people in your life that God has sent to teach you and to educate you because you're not supposed to sit around and die. You're called by Christ to a specific calling And you're called to life and you're called to grow. And he's placed people in your life to help you to do that. These people are put in your life to prepare God's people for works of service. Verse 12. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what's the biblical definition of the word mature? Attaining the full knowledge of Jesus Christ. Are you there yet? I'm really trying, but I'm not there yet either. Because Christ has to do that in you. He has to do that in me. But maturity is attaining the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 says this, that they will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. So what's happening in Paul's era is there's these people called heretics. It's just what they're called. And they're teaching false teachings. They're they're kind of taking the concept of God. They're kind of taking the concept of Jesus and they're twisting it so that they can benefit from it. Do we know people like that in our culture? I pray you answered that yes, because they're all over the place. And unless we as believers are committed to understanding Christ, we won't be able to spot the false teachers. And Paul's telling us to really encourage our our brothers and sisters and and to, to grab a hold of the scriptures and to mature in our faith because we need to be able to spot the false teachers out there who are leading people astray. In his time, that's what's going on. And in our time, that's going, what's going on. We are not to be deceived by the craftiness of men. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in his love as a part, uh, each part does its own work. You see, we're called to mature as Christians. And if we're going to mature as Christians, we've got to find a teacher, an ultimate teacher. And who is that? It's Christ. Amen. Christ is our ultimate teacher. So in order for us to mature in our faith, that means we now must become disciples of Christ. 
which means we are the students, the followers of. And if we're going to be the disciples of Christ, that means we need to be imitators of Christ. I love Ephesians 4 in the beginning of 5 because he, he goes on to say this in verse 17. He says, No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Skip down to 20. You didn't come to know Christ this way. Surely you heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus. You are to be made new in your attitude. You're to put off the old self and to put on the new. The new self <coughs> that Christ stresses you in. <coughs> he goes on to talk about how we should not sin in anger or anything. We shouldn't sin. And he says that we as believers are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave us. And in the beginning of verse, chapter 5, excuse me, he says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. If we're going to be disciples, if we're going to mature into what God wants us to mature in, then we need to love in truth. We need to love in love and be like Christ. Well, how do we imitate Christ? Well, when we look at Christ's life, there's four key things I want to point out that we see in a maturing process. The first one is, is if we're going to be like Christ, we've got to know who Christ is. And the way that we know who Christ is, is by studying the Word of God. So the first one, if you're taking notes, is uh, the habit of a disciple is, is being a person who studies the Word of God. Knowing God by spending time in His Word. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, we're commanded to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, not just people who have the head knowledge of what's going on, but it needs to transform our insides. It needs to transform our heart. And as God transforms our heart, it's going to transform our actions. We need to not just be listeners of the word of God, but we need to be doers of the word of God. In John 8, 31 through 32, we're told that if you continue in my word, then you are my disciple. So one of the habits of a disciple is, we're in the word of God, spending time in his word. The second one is prayer. When we think about the life of Christ, he was constantly in prayer with his father. He answers prayer. He wants prayer to be a two-way street God doesn't want you to be the only one talking. Lay still before God and meditate on his word. And I promise you, God will speak. Prayer is a conversation, a two-way conversation between you and your creator. The mediator that you needed was Jesus Christ. And so now you have a direct line to God. You don't need to pray through somebody else. You simply pray to God. And he wants to hear you. He wants to have a conversation with you as Jesus did. So daily the disciple prays. The third thing that the disciple does is the disciple of Christ, as we see in his life, Christ gave everything. He gave his possessions. He gave his talents. He gave his treasures. 
And if we're going to be disciples of Christ, I'll say this with a boldness, that, that oftentimes we view our money as the thing that God will use the most, but I will challenge you as a mature Christian, God will use your money and take it and bless the world and do His thing, but I promise you He can use your time and talents far greater than you could ever possibly imagine, far greater than your money could ever go. The Word of God doesn't tell us it's one of the three. The Word of God tells us it's all three. As Jesus gave all three, as the disciples gave all three. And if we're to mature in our faith and be his disciples, we too must give of our time, our talents, and our treasure. The fourth one is fellowship. Jesus loved to hang out with his disciples. Jesus loved to be with people. He knew that there was a time and a place for it. And yes, there were times where Jesus had to remove himself and get to the wilderness and pray. But Jesus loved fellowship. And as disciples of Christ, we too are called to fellowship. One of the most holy times you can have on a Sunday afternoon is immediately following church when you're sitting down with brothers and sisters in Christ and just sharing about what God is doing in your life. So as you make those lunch plans or go to somebody's house, God is delighted in that. As the people of God, we should love being around one another. We should also love being around people who don't know him. Because that's our mission. As a disciple of Christ, we're called to fellowship. I think of Jesus on the sea. You know, the disciples are out there fishing. They're all him-hawing and boo-hooed because they don't know where Christ is. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears and they know right away that it's him. Some of the disciples are pulling in a fish net. He says, bring a fish to the shore and I'll cook you breakfast. And, and I think it's Peter that jumps in and swims to the shore and, and, he, and he's bringing a fish to the Lord. And when he gets there, the Bible clearly states the breakfast was already cooked. I believe in my heart of hearts that Jesus was messing with his friends. Hey, it's already done. I didn't need that. Fish hands. There's camaraderie among the disciples. There's camaraderie among the people of God. We are to enjoy being in the presence of our Father. We are to enjoy being in the presence of our brothers and sisters. So as disciples, we're called to spend time in God's word. We're called to be in prayer, not to be the only one talking. We're called to be tithing. Jesus gave of his time, his talents, and his treasure Someone asked me one time, how did Jesus give of his treasure? Well, let's see. He's the son of God, the rightful heir to the throne. And when we were all adopted into the kingdom, we were made co-heirs with Christ. Isn't that powerful? Jesus gave of his time, his talents, and his treasure. He gave his life. Are we doing that? Are we in fellowship with one another? Because we should be. I love how Dallas Willard looks at the Bible. He said, the New Testament is a, is, a, is a book written by disciples through God for disciples of Christ. Are you a disciple of Christ? Do you look at this word as your handbook? You know, when you grow a bonsai tree, it's interesting because when you really mature a bonsai tree, you have to take care of it daily. You have to tend to it often. And a lot of times as Christian, the only time we tend to our spiritual lives is on Sunday morning. I'm going to tell you, to be a disciple of Christ, it is a daily discipline. And I want to challenge you to it. 
I want to challenge you to daily be participating in those four things in one way or another. And watch God mature you. Precious Lord, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us here at this church. There's so many ways that we can be involved in here at the church in different groups. I think of the choir, God, and the way that they have fellowship together. I think of just the men's ministry and the women's ministry and our youth and children, God. Thank you for the way that you mature us in those fellowships, God. And I pray that each one of us would be involved in a small group or, or be involved in some type of thing, God, where we can come closer together with you by studying your word, by, by being in prayer, by giving of our time, talent, and treasure, and by fellowshipping. God, help us to grow into what you want us to be. And if we can leave those things at the foot of the cross and allow you to prune us and train us and grow us, I look forward to seeing what fruit there will be. We love you and we thank you, God. It's in your name. Amen.